Hello and welcome to another fantastical episode of Football Furioso. Your host Norris Howard here. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the Manchester Derby and just how bad are things getting at Old Trafford. Also, the El Clasico went down and we're going to talk about that as well as the Ballon d'Or winners. But as usual, I'm joined on my left by Nolan Wingback. What's up? You know, it was a little bit of a bland weekend in, in, in the Premier in, League. In the Premier League. Everywhere else is seen incredibly hype, but the Premier League, it was a little stale. It was a little stale. This it was a little stale, I'm going <laughs> to be honest. But uh, we are going to start talking today about the Manchester Derby as a blue moon rises over the city of Manchester today uh, as City take down a United 3-0 and, and let me just say this, you know, obviously this comes with the passing of, of Sir Bobby Charlton, uh, th- which the tribute before the match was fantastic, mm-hmm. by the way. But the one thing I'll say is the play on the field did not match the emotional gravitas of the tribute because United were dog walked off the pitch this weekend. Yeah, City City came in there and they showed their respects and then proceeded to disrespect them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think that this match it, it showed it showed a lot more about Manchester United than City. We know City was going to be class going into it. Um they play the same way no matter who they're playing. Um slow from back to front, play the balls from the side, obviously get into high line and things happen every time. Yeah, and you know Peter Peter Drury who was on uh uh the match commentating uh, that that day said it the best in the post-match wrap-up he said you know this place looks like old trafford it sounds like old trafford but that's not this is not manchester united <laughs> and that's how it feels you know you're talking about one of the most valuable franchises in all of sports definitely in the top three of franchise value uh in, in world football and yet and still they can't get a midfield that could put together three passes. And back in the day, the rest of the league would kill for any of the players that were in Manchester United. You would kill for the levels that those players and, and the intensity that those players brought. And now, I'm not sure if any of the big six teams, well, maybe Chelsea, but I'm not sure any of the other teams that are competing for a title and for Champions League spots would take any of those players in the starting 11 for Manchester United. No, definitely. I mean, we could go down a line. Diego Dallo. Overrated. Maguire. Ugh. Johnny Evans. No. Lindelof. No. Christian Eriksen. Maybe. <laughs> Eric Amrabat. Stop gap. Exactly. Bruno Fernandez. <laughs> Ronaldinho success. Scott Matamanay. <laughs> Ah, uh, he gets he the Tomney gets a bad rap. Yeah, he does. He gets a bad rap. Listen, and it's because again, he's not Scott McTominay would be a great footballer almost anywhere else but Chelsea. And what I mean I mean but uh Manchester United. And what I mean by that is he is never, ever, 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 ever going to reach any kind of levels at Manchester United. And now his career is over. And that's right. what happens. You know, it's it's like all of those players that you just named are obviously great footballers. Mm-hmm. The thing about it is they have no direction tactically, and you can tell. Mm-hmm. They don't buy into the system, whatever the system is, because nobody knows what it is. <laughs> You're right. And I hate to say it, Bruno Fernandez is a terrible captain. 
He's terrible. Like at least on the pitch, mm-hmm. we don't. I, I I know in the locker room, we don't know what happens in the locker room. We don't know what happens off the pitch. A lot of times, all that stuff. But what I see on the pitch, for the second goal, and and we'll get to the first one, which was it wasn't controversial, but people act like it was. <laughs> the second goal, Holland is left free on the back post. If I'm the captain on the pitch. I'm screaming at everybody. I'm pulling shirts. I'm getting in people's face because there is no way you can have a literal Uruk-hai <laughs> on the back post, the most prolific goal scorer in a generation, and just leave them free on the back post. By, and yards. Ha- by yards. And it happened twice. Mm-hmm. And you got bailed out by Onana, who's the only one magnificently who showed up to play. <laughs> Yeah, and and we talk a lot about Onana uh, pretty much every week, but we have to give some credit with him right now. Like, he came out there and, like you said, wanted to play, and I think we're seeing that trend start to shift from him to that back line now, and you're seeing him bail them out more than them bailing him out. So I think that, again, it's the levels of the play. You got Rashford up front who virtually disappears once his first couple of chances uh, go awry, and you watch him get timid, and he disappears. So yeah. it's just problems everywhere. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, uh, the first goal, like we said, that was scored uh, by Haaland was uh, a, a penalty from Hoyland who grabbed Rodri. People were upset because, listen, could technically that penalty be called every match? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it got called on this one. So, you know, you got them's the breaks. And, you know, Manchester City did what they do. They had 70% possession. 21 shots, 10 of them on goal. Manchester United never had a chance. And you never, ever would think Manchester United would play Manchester City and get out-manned, out-gunned, out-played, out-hustled, out-everything. And it's just, it's bad news. I don't see what they can do right now to make it better. Because also, the wage bill is crazy. Mm-hmm. They spend so much money on players. They bring in all these players, and none of them produce. Yeah. So at what point do we say, all right, Ten Hag, it's time? Yeah. I think it's on him starting now, honestly. I think after a big derby like this, um, they're sitting on five wins and five losses um, into the season currently. I mean, that's just not Manchester United levels. And he came in with good energy. He had good formations, and he tried. You got Rashford going a lot more. But now you look at the players. You know when they walk off the pitch, you see Ten Hag. They're getting booed off in Old Trafford against their rivals. There is no continuity between the players looking at each other. The manager looks heads are down. There's a lot to do with that when it goes you know into that locker room. I don't see them beating anybody with a good with with a, with a pretty good amount of yeah of yeah. I mean. Earlier in the season, you know, we asked the question, who has it worse, Manchester United or Chelsea? And I said Chelsea, which, by the way, their club is not necessarily in great shape and they are lower on the table. But the thing with Manchester United is the rot goes deep here, right? (laughs) Right. Like, we're not just talking about poor performances on the pitch. We don't even know what the coach's plan is. We don't even know what the ownership structure is going to look like this time two months from now you know that is a very volatile you know situation to be in and i'm still not going to excuse 
Ten Hag or the players because ultimately you got to go out and perform. And when you don't go out and perform, nobody else, you can't really point the fingers at anybody else. And, and, you know, Manchester City has been this team for almost six, seven years now. You knew what to expect. You knew what was going to happen, and you didn't game plan. Rafael Varane was healthy, and you played Johnny Evans instead. That's on nobody else but Ten Hag. Yep. So, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, be one of those people calling for a coach's head. But when you're at Manchester United, and you getting results like this. I mean, you on a very short leash. Yeah. At this point, but pivoting to El Clasico down in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Boy, what it, this was a game, a, a tale of two halves, I would say, uh, because I thought Madrid actually were not great in the first half, but in that second half. He showed up. Yep. He might did it again. A, might have to do that a thousand he more did, times. He did it again. He did it again. You already know who we talking about. Jude Ballon d'Or. Jude Bellingham. <laughs> all of that, man. The We got to say he's the greatest player in the world. Yeah. The best player in the world right now. As of right now, he is the best player in the world. And he took this game over in the second half and completely won it. Yeah. And, and like you said, first half, Madrid were, were tepid. You know, they were... Nervous, Gundogan gets his first goal for the club in the sixth minute, so early scoring obviously puts you in a hole. But that second half, you know, they came out, they tried to get a little bit more. The ball came to Jude's foot, 25 yards out of the box, and he just said, you know what, this ends now. Damn, son, where'd you find this? I'm him. He did, that's and, what he and said. shot a howler into the corner. Impossible to stop. Some will say a goalkeeper get his hand on it. No one was getting their He's hand breaking on. his hand. Yeah. <laughs> like, for real, it was such a magnificent goal, and it was so well taken. And then, you know, in, in the dying embers of the game, mm-hmm. uh, Jude gets in front of the keeper, 92nd minute, gets a tap in, basically. But this is what I'm saying. <laughs> Remember how we was talking about, you know, Manchester United and, and all the fantastic stuff that they do? The second half, for I cannot contrast two teams more. Yeah. Right? You look at the second half that Real Madrid played. After honestly playing a very poor first half, they looked completely overrun. Gundogan was doing anything that he wanted to do. Gavi was marauding through the midfield and mm-hmm. doing all sorts of crazy stuff. You started seeing all of these players really start to pick up steam. And you went, mm-mm. Is this the game that wake Barcelona up? Is this the game that... Cause you know they dealing with it. They they dealing with a lot of injuries. Lewandowski is just not coming back off of injury. So he's like, oh man, is this the one? And then they come out in the second half. Key change for, for Ancelotti, I will say, Kamavinga coming in in the second half because he completely led to uh, shutting down the progress of Barcelona and, and leading to a lot of these attacking moves. Mm-hmm. But they come out and the game plan was clear. You saw we're going to attack. We are going to shoot, and we are going to play on the front foot. If that means that Vinicius is going to play a little bit more one-on-one and be more aggressive, so be it. If that means that we're going to have to push Kamavinga up, so be it. If they brought on Modric, cool. We're going to have a little bit more creativity in the midfield. So now Jude is getting more aggressive. He's going to have more license to shoot. It is clear. Ray Charles could see this game playing. <laughs> right? And they go out and execute. And albeit, don't get me wrong, you get a moment of brilliance from Jude Ballon d'Or. But 
at the end of the day, the team knew what they had to do. They went out and they get a huge win. I was about to say at the Camp Nou, but they're not at the Camp Nou. They, yeah. The Camp Nou is under construction. But a huge win in Barcelona. And, you know, I, I, I just want to say this, Nolan, before I get your deep analysis. Is I got to actually give respect to Ilkay Gundogan. Mm-hmm. Because this was a guy who walked, you know, who walked away from Manchester City after winning a treble. They weren't going to resign him anyway, but he still walked away. And said in the post-match conversations, he said, I came to Barcelona to win these matches. And that's that's what I'm talking. That mentality mm-hmm. is exactly what's missing at Manchester United. Right. Because here's a guy who easily could have said, man, if it wasn't for Jude Bellingham just being brilliant and scoring a worldie, we'd have got at least a point out of it. Or we may have even won. He made no excuses. He said, I'm here to win. Mm-hmm. I'm here to get results. Okay? And, you know, Gavi, in, in much respect to some of these guys at Barcelona who even in losing effort say, you know what? Not acceptable. We ain't standing by it. And that's what I'm talking about. That's why I love El Clasico. Mm-hmm. That's why it's always the best club match and best club uh, uh, rivalry to watch, in my opinion. But I want to ask you very simple. Mm-hmm. With this squad, how far can Madrid go? Because I think La Liga is not as strong as it was a few years ago. Right. Champions yeah. League, they doing their thing. But how, this, this mind you, this is no Benzema yeah. anymore. And so what, what, how far can this team go? I look at this team and I think that they can go far, but it's it's really dependent. Obviously, it's on Jude, which is almost sounds unfair. He's 20 years old, but he's taken over pretty much. But I think that the good part about it is Ancelotti has put a lot of trust in him and, and morphed a lot of this formation around him uh, from playing kind of that deep lying, you know, in the final third still, but deep line to get the ball, which allows him to take the shots that he had in this match. But a lot of it comes to some of these players that I think are senior players now that have only maybe been there for a couple of years still. But you got the Chuchamendis. Um, Kamavinga's been there for a while. And I think a lot of it does even go on Vinicius Jr. You know, you watched him in this match even alone where he, you know, kind of gets into antics a little bit, takes the, his own team out of it, or takes himself out of it a little bit. I think that if they can button it down, obviously assist Jude a little bit, almost in that Batman-Robin style, where, you know, before it was kind of Benzema and, and him, he has to almost kind of take that, you know, back, back foot to Jude right now. And I think that if they can stay focused and if some of those other senior players can step up, um, you're not expecting Cruz to do it too much. You're not expecting Modric to come in and, and take over games anymore. So I think that if they can do that, they can go They can go pretty far. But I think it'll be a tough season. Yeah, I, I think – I mean, I think it'll be a tough season in Champions League for Champions, him. Yeah. I, I think La Liga is a different story. Mm-hmm. I think they're – especially after this match, I think they're favored to win, yeah. win the title in Spain. But that's going to be it for part one and part two. We're going to go back to the Premier League and talk about the results that went down at Stamford Bridge as well as wrapping up the rest of the matches in the Premier League. Stick around. We got more Football Furiosa coming up. Everybody, and welcome back to Football Furioso Soccer at the Speed of Sound. Your host, Norris Howard, here alongside Nolan, the wing back. And, uh, you know, we talked about Manchester United. We were real down on them. I'm going to be honest with you. That was very negative. <laughs> uh, but they're not the only ones worth our ire and scrutiny because Brentford beat Chelsea at Stanford Bridge 2 0. Nolan, how? <laughs> how? More like. There's too many questions to ask. It's, it's more like, how, I, 
why are you why are you shocked? Yeah, why are you even shocked? At this point, I think that I have figured them out. Okay, I think that I'm not. The you first. have the sauce, and you know. I have watched enough, and I have finalized my decision. Okay, if you play a low block, you will beat Chelsea. They will never score goals. You will counterattack, and you will score. I hope anyone's listening and wants to know how to beat Chelsea. Here it is. I no, but I think that Brentford came in with a plan. Um, Chelsea naturally at home tried to get on the front foot early. Um, but once Brentford around the 15 minute mark, you watch Brentford say, you know what? Obviously, we're not gonna beat them on a straight up talent race, low block, eight men behind the ball. You watch them frustrate them and keep that ball from going, you know, north to south to east and west, and that's where you frustrate Chelsea. And and from that point, you got two good goals out of it, counterattacking goals. Listen, here's the thing to me with 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 Chelsea, because I think you're absolutely right. I think when you look at how they played or how Brentford played Chelsea, they went out and did their thing. Low block, both of the goals came from counterattack. The goal from Pinnock actually, I think, is a better finish than people are going to give them credit for. Yeah. And the the goal, which almost, Neil Mopay almost scored. <laughs> right. Which, by the way, you should be ashamed of yourself as a team if you even let Neil <laughs> Mopay even get a, 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 a close to an attempt on goal. Yeah. But uh, the second goal... Uh, is 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 just casually uh, fired in by Mbwemo, uh, which is so. It, it was just the most Chelsea thing for mm-hmm. to happen. Uh, you know, the second goal comes from uh, Sanchez, the, the goalkeeper, going up for Chelsea in a, a corner kick towards the end of the match, which it wasn't the last kick of the match. It right. was it was like two or three minutes left in in stoppage time, so he's. I don't know why he went up that early, but anyway, he goes up. They don't win the ball in the air. If your goalkeeper goes up, you got to win the ball. They don't. Mbwemo and Neil Mope lead the counterattack. Neil Mope uh, gets, I don't know how it wasn't a foul because Sanchez just jumped on his back basically, but, you know, Mope is able to sweep the ball over to Mbwemo who buries it. So I think you're absolutely right, but I think, I think the main thing I'm concerned with is I'm, I I look at this team, right? And one of the main things that I always love to look at when I'm looking at a top flight team is what do they do to break through the low blocks? Because if you're a good team, teams are going to play defensively against you. Mm-hmm. And I look at Nicholas Jackson and like I look at the space where like your number nine should be and he's just never there. He's just never in Ever. the spot where your number nine should be. And it's so frustrating. And I don't understand why. <laughs> like, he'll he'll just he'll make a run and you'll be like, oh man, here they go. They might have a chance. Raheem is is marauding up the wing. Mm-hmm. They might have and you'll be like, where he go? Right. Like he'll 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 have a chance to break the lines and run through, maybe get a ball to his head, something like that. And he'll just kind of like half a step stop or he'll make a weird turn to the left Mm -hmm. or something. He'll just do anything in his power to not be where he's supposed to be. And that's very frustrating to watch. Um, And somebody wants to see him do well. Yeah. And I think that they're young players. And I think that, you know, if you're thinking, hey, you know, what can they do? We always talk about them. You know, what can they do to help? I think Pochettino with young players has to almost instill that back into the players and say, you know what? Player, 
figure it out. You know, you sometimes you want your players to look at each other and say, I got your back. And yeah. I think that a lot of times when you miss those one or two chances, being young players um, like, you know, Nicholas Jackson, Majueke, all those players, when they make a couple shots, you almost see them disappear after a couple of, you know, chances appear. And I think that a lot of it can definitely help formation-wise being able to do that um, and set them up a little bit better. I, You know what I would do? Here's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Here's what I would try. I would either say, all right, Nicholas, Jackson, here's what I need you to do. I don't care if you go out there and bang your head against a brick wall for 90 minutes, <laughs> right? I'm going to put you out there, and you're going to play until you score. Mm-hmm. Because it's clear that he's low on confidence, and right. he's going to need some goals to bid. I mean, that's just the life of a striker. Goals, score, goals are your lifeblood. And if you ain't scoring, you ain't feeling good. So get out there and get some goals. But if that's going to take too long, I would take a chance and say we putting Cole Palmer in the number nine position because he's your most consistent goal scorer. He constantly is a threat. He's at the top of the box. He's always making part of the attacking moves. I would play Cole Palmer up top, and I would play Enzo and Caicedo at the same time mm-hmm. just to get that extra security in the back line to 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 accommodate for the loss of Palmer in, in the midfield. And so I think that could be an interesting experiment because as it stands right now, they got to figure something out. Yeah. Because to be honest, you talk about how young they are as a team. Last week, they had a fluke goal and a penalty that put them above Arsenal and they still almost lost. Yeah. So for me, Chelsea is going to have to do a lot more in order to prove that they're ready, but they are a very young team and this team is going to need time to uh, jail up. Uh, other results in the Premier League, as you said, it just everything else was just kind of meh. Just a little meh. It was goals, but just meh. It just meh. Uh, Sheffield United continues to be really not good. Yeah. Uh, they lose 5 0 to Arsenal at the Emirates. A hat trick for Eddie and Katia. So, word to Eddie and Katia for getting his first Premier League hat trick. But uh, Sheffield are very bad. Yeah. They're hogging the bottom of the table at this point. They only have one point. I just think that, you know, this is a championship side, unfortunately. And I, and I all, you know, no disrespect, but they're a championship. I read somewhere that this is the worst start to a Premier League (laughs) season that any team has ever had, ever, which, which is crazy. I watched Norwich for many years and I was almost sure Norwich was, I mean, the record belongs to Derby County, but the point Ah. is, as many of them Norwich teams as I had to watch ago, like, yo, this is. The, probably the worst team ever. Boo boo. <laughs> like apparently they were much more class than this Sheffield. I, I w- know. Imagine a match between that Norwich and this Sheffield. <laughs> but those matches are exciting. <laughs> That's true. Those matches are usually great. <laughs> like the bottom of the table matches are fantastic. Yeah. Because listen, it's you ever you know it's like it's it's like Jackson Pollock. You know it's it looks yeah. like mess from far away, but or it looks like mess close up, but from far away you get to see the brilliance of it. <laughs> right. uh, but uh, you know, Sheffield, I think are pretty much locked in to go back down. I don't see them getting any any points off anybody, and they're ravaged by injuries as well. So it's just not a good situation. Tottenham beat Crystal Palace two to one. Tottenham remain at the top of the table, uh, but they did the job against Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fairly you have to expect it's a two one. It flatters Crystal Palace to be honest. Um, Tottenham, given on their form, you expect them to do better against Palace. So I think this is more about 
Tottenham, honestly, than than anything. Yeah, I would say so. You know, I'm 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 really interested to see Tottenham play City. Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's the last team I think that they need to play to really say, okay, we are title contenders. Right. And they don't even have to really win, but I think if they perform, we got to take Tottenham serious as title contenders because yep. uh, they are playing very very well, uh, and. Anything can happen. Who knows? Who knows? You know, uh, Brighton versus Fulham. Very, very, uh, I don't want to call it pedestrian, but 1-1 match. Uh, the equalizer score for Fulham by Jao Polina, who probably had no business still being on the uh, on the yeah. pitch after elbowing Lewis Dunk. assault. Like, for real, <laughs> after like uh, delivering a Macho Man Randy Savage flying elbow to Lewis Dunk. <laughs> yeah, he the was lucky. is just crazy. It, man, it's been so bad this season. I mean, even even the, the goal checks mm-hmm. in in the Manchester Derby and in in the Arsenal versus I feel like every game had some just really long like why are we even checking this? Right. because uh, it was a a, a Takahiro Tomiyasu scored uh, against Sheffield for Arsenal and they was like we got VAR checked. I'm like for what? Yeah, it's clear. What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway. Uh, Everton get vital three points at the London Stadium versus West Ham. West Ham starting to slide off just a little bit. Yeah, I think that, you know, they're not really holding home that good lately. And Everton are, are fighting, apparently. <laughs> you know, I mean, the thing with Everton is that, you know, you look at Luton, Sheffield, and uh, Burnley. And, and Burnley, and I'll put, uh, I'll put uh, Bournemouth in, there, Bournemouth too, in yeah. there, too. Uh, They got a chance to stay up, but... They could be facing a 12-point uh, deduction <laughs> for financial fair play violations, so it may be all for naught. They got to go for it. They got to go for it every match. Uh, Villa, once again, Villa Park is a fortress, as you always say. They built, beat Luton 3-1. to one. Mm-hmm. You were one of the first people who I heard say Diaby is going to be one of the signers of the season, and uh, you have been spot on yeah. my brother he got his first goal but even without the goals he's so just on the front foot and he's really kind of just that that good if he's playing good if he's getting forward and we're probably going to beat you for by four goals and they put numbers up on you yeah that's the thing about villa they put numbers up on you wolves versus newcastle 2-2 two, two. this is the first uh match for newcastle post sandro tonali ban uh, he is going to be sitting down for 10 months, facing a similar ban to Ivan Tony uh, for gambling uh, in Newcastle, potentially uh, thinking of suing AC Milan because they're saying that Milan sold them a player who they knew was about to get banned. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they might. Because I don't blame them. <laughs> they might have a point. Um, if, if, you know, if they prove that AC Milan knew that he was gambling on matches that he was playing in, mm-hmm. then. They might have a point. Yeah. Uh, and in a very pedestrian match, Liverpool beat Nottingham Forest three to nil. Forest, sort of the best of the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the team sitting there in the relegation ish area. Uh, I think Forest will end up staying up, Same. which is cool because yeah. I like Forest being in the league. I do. I like their home matches. Very fun. Yeah, very fun. <laughs> but anyway, that's going to be it for part two. In part three, we are going to cover everybody who walked away with a trophy from the Ballon d'Or Awards, as well as who is the best man and the best woman's player on planet Earth. We got more coming up on Football Furioso. Hey everybody, welcome back to Football Furioso. 
Soccer at the Speed of Sound. Don't forget, you can find us on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter. So make sure you head over there and give us some follows. We'll be putting out memes, talking about matches. And uh, also stick close to your feeds because we're going to start putting out some bonus episodes. So you're going to be getting even more content from us in the near future. Now, Nolan the Ballon d'Or uh, ceremonies uh, went down in Paris, a mm. uh, collection of football journalists who vote on who they feel are the best players in the world. And obviously, we got to start with the main man himself, Lionel Messi, winning his eighth Ballon d'Or. He is the greatest player we will ever see, Yeah, probably. Greatest player that you and I will ever set our eyes on. Um, in person. In person. Yeah. Obviously, in the twilight of his career, but... I think today was a really big day just to really kind of look back on. You almost look at, you know, everyone in the crowd. They're almost kind of taking it in because that post-Ronaldo, post-Messi, you know, just rivalry, just intense era is starting to kind of close. I think this was an important day to just really look back and just accept, you know, this is probably, you know, the last one for Messi, just looking at everything. It was it was an important day for him. Yeah, and, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I always ask myself because, you know, we talk about Real Madrid and their young core, Arsenal. You talk about Erling Haaland. You talk about a lot of these players that have been saying, like, oh, these are the next, the next generation. And it's like, at what point do we say, no, this is the current generation? Mm -hmm. These are the players. Yep. These are the guys. And, you know, I think Mbappe is the only one who solidified himself. Like, he is the superstar right now. Right. But the rest of them, you know, everybody keeps calling them future stars. No, they're just stars. Mm -hmm. They're just stars. You know, I think the Messi-Ronaldo era is over. Mm -hmm. I think it ended the moment Ronaldo said I'm going to Saudi, you know, because, listen, he knows, he knows that, he knows what that move is about. Mm -hmm. It's about that bread. That has nothing to do with his competitive legacy. Yeah. You know, who cares? Uh, about what's happening in the Saudi league. That's no diss. I'm just saying it's not competitive. At all. It, it's, if we're going to compare it, <laughs> it's the fun league. If we're going to compare it to everything else, it's just not as competitive. Uh, but Lionel Messi getting his eighth Ballon d'Or, I think, does put a nice end cap with the World Cup as well. It was just the, poetic. The, the, the poetic story. We couldn't write the movie better than this. We know the movie, there's going to be a movie somewhere. Yeah. But we couldn't write the movie better. It's the perfect send-off. And uh, I look forward to seeing who's going to be some of the next players to, you know, really walk away with uh, foot, one of football's highest honors. And speaking of that, the Copa Trophy, which is the best young player in, uh, in, in the world. You already know who it is. Jude Bellingham. Jude Bellingham. Walks away with the Copa Trophy. I think it would have been impossible to give it to anybody else. I think the only other person I could have maybe thought about is maybe Bukayo Saka. But even then, I think you got to go with Jude. Uh, now, most of this is based off his time at Borussia Dortmund. Mm -hmm. But remember, Dortmund lost the title on the last day. Yeah. yeah. They lost the title to Bayern by one point. Which is a testament to him again. <laughs> I think he he he's played well over the last physical year, and I I don't say like you said it's based on his past season with Borussia mostly, but you know that recency bias it only 
it only absolves him even more to have this. You know, that's true. How he's playing now only makes it, it even justifies more of a, the yeah, award. It only makes it even more of a, a clear cut. Yeah, it, it definitely justifies uh, the award. Uh, the Socrates Award, which is given to uh, players who focus on social change, was given to Vinicius Jr. Mm-hmm. for his outspoken uh, uh, crusade against racism in football. The Yashin Award for uh, best goalkeeper goes to Emmy Martinez from Argentina, which. I think a lot of us forget just how massive he was in the World Cup and mm-hmm. stopping, you know, that final shot from Colo Mawani in the finals, the multiple penalty saves. I mean, Emmy Martinez was brilliant brilliant in that World Cup. And, you know, I, they, they do not win without him. Uh, the girl, Gerd Muller Trophy for the most goals scored in Europe goes to Erling Haaland. Duh. Yeah. And Club of the Year goes to Manchester City. Big trouble win uh, for them. It's hard to, you know, say that it's not. But also, it doesn't matter actually how many trophies you win to get Club of the Year. It goes by how many Ballon d'Or nominees you have mm. in your team. So you cannot win a trophy, but if you got, well, like five Ballon d'Or nominees then you are club right, of the club year. Of that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, on the women's side, actually, uh, we have uh, Barcelona, which is uh, club of the year. They had, I believe, four uh, Ballon d'Or nominees, and one of them, uh, Aitana Bonmati, who you've heard us talk about on this show quite a bit from Spain, walked away with the women's Ballon d'Or as the best player of the year. So... With all that said, that is going to be the last we say of this episode of Football Furioso. Nolan, you get the last word as usual. You know, I got to say, to finish fully the Messi-Ronaldo era, let me say this. That match at the World Cup from Messi, the dramatics, I think I did cry at the man. Now that I'm thinking back, I think I cried. The match was so good. We and all cried. What a, what a time to just finish that era. So. What a time to be alive. Yeah. Here's to the Messi era. 